Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing two short stories, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Beers and The Circular Ruins by Jorge Luis Borges. And joining us for the discussion is returning founder of the Protagonist Podcast, Todd Mack. Welcome back, Todd. Thanks. It's good to be here. So uh, once upon a time, I can't remember which episode, we just each chose a short story from our areas of academic expertise and threw them together and it it actually worked out really well even though we had not like predetermined what theme we were going to be choosing or anything like that we've done that again and once again (laughs) (laughs) really well uh to have uh an occurrence out of bridge and circular ruins uh together for this discussion yeah i'm uh, i'm really excited about this so for anyone who's unfamiliar, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge is an 1890 short story that tells the story of a man about to be executed during the Civil War when the rope around his neck breaks. And The Circular Ruins is a short story, first published in 1940, that tells the story of a wizard conjuring a being from his dreams. And when you say that, you're going to say, these two do not align. Just trust me, once we get to the full summary, these two are going to align very well. <laughs> so Todd, had you read An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge? I never had. I had. I have heard the name of this story before um, and been curious about it, but had never read it. So I'm really uh, happy that I got this chance to do it. Well, very similarly, I had not read The Circular Ruins. <laughs> um, I have not read as much Borges as you, as you have, but um, everyone that you've recommended, I've enjoyed. So I, I think I just need to go read more. <laughs> it's really, he's really good. Uh, he's very, very good. <clears throat> And I, when I was looking up trivia, I came across this tidbit that uh, it was said, and you can like confirm or deny because you know I just found this on the internet. It said that his longest short story is only fourteen pages long. It seems like the, all the ones you sent me have been very quick reads, like very much in the Edgar Allan Poe one sitting is ideal for a story to take hold of a reader and be completed. Yeah, he has a couple longer ones. I I couldn't tell you if they were longer than fourteen pages or not, but um, the Garden of working paths i think is what it's called in english um is a little bit longer and then he has one called order beast something 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 <laughs> uh uh ukbar i think is what it's called and that one also is a little bit longer it's about some guys that um they start making up an encyclopedia and then it turns out that their encyclopedia may they may or may not be creating a world like actually creating a world. This, this sounds very boring. Like as soon as you start saying that, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a Borges. It's so good. Um, yeah. So uh, he, his short stories are just amazing, but um, yeah, but yeah, they're mostly quite short. Some of them are mm-hmm. a little bit longer, but not, but not really super long. And he's mostly known for these two collections of short stories. One's called Ficciones and the other one's called El Aleph. They're both from the 1940s. Um, and then he has some poetry, uh, I'm more partial to his short stories than his poetry. I think that mm-hmm. most people, I, I think it's safe to say that most people are more familiar with his short stories than his poetry. His poetry is also uh, very interesting and philosophical, but I, I like his stories better. Um, I've I've not read any of his poetry, thoroughly enjoyed his short stories. And I think there's a really, there can be a very sweet spot when 
it's the end of a long night and you want to read something and you have like, you know, your 1200 page high fantasy novel and you've got, you know, the, you know, an issue of a comic book that's part of a, you know, a 40 issue storyline uh, that's going on. Or there's a five page complete short story <laughs> by Brace that might be, you know, I, I might be more tempted to go just pick up a short story, begin it, finish it and go to sleep within the next 10 minutes <laughs> rather than trying to like reimmerse myself into a world. Yeah. And Borges is. Uh, fiction is very philosophical. It's, I, I, I think more of Borges as a philosopher who happens to write his philosophy in in the guise of fiction um, than other writers who I think are fiction writers who who happen to include some philosophical elements in their fiction. I think he starts from the he, he starts with the philosophy and then and then builds stories around that. All right. Well, I, I have quite a bit of trivia on both of these, um, which is interesting because sometimes I'm like doing an entire TV series. And it's like, here's three bits. But with Ambrose Bierce <laughs> and Borges, <laughs> there's quite a lot going on with both of these men. Yeah. So Ambrose Bierce lived from 1842 to sometime in the 1910s. More on that in a bit. That's another bit of trivia. Uh, and he was a veteran of the Union Army in the Civil War. And themes about the futility of war and mass violence can be found in his works. He was at the Battle of Shiloh in the war and his experiences there inspired several of his short stories. He was wounded at the Battle of Kennesaw. Mountain in 1864, but he did return to active duty after uh, he had healed up. And his 25 war-themed short stories have been called the greatest anti-war document in American literature. Hmm. Um, besides being a short story writer, he was a reporter, a satirist, a literary critic, a poet, uh, and then also uh, a fiction writer. And um, he is considered to have popularized the twist ending in short stories, uh, which we definitely get in an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Um, and in his lifetime, the devil's dictionary was his most famous work. Have you ever uh, read any of the devil's dictionary? No. So it's, uh, I mean, you can probably work it out pretty quickly. It's satirical definitions to words. And I, I pulled in a few of my favorites that he had. <laughs> so like Academy noun, a modern school where football is taught <laughs> <laughs> achievement noun, the death of endeavor and the birth of disgust. <laughs> Childhood noun, the period of human life intermediate between the idiocy of infancy and the folly of youth, two removes from the sin of manhood and three from the remorse of age. <laughs> uh, and then this, this one just kind of keeps going, but I loved it when I got to the end. Edible, good to eat and wholesome to digest as a worm to a toad, a toad to a snake, a snake to a pig, a pig to a man and a man to a worm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and, and uh, the last one, politeness, the most acceptable hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found this little uh, story, which I had not heard about before when I was just looking up some trivia. So his, his satirical articles in newspapers often cause controversy. And one that just proves the, um, like the, some of the s stupidity of political life. It, it's not an aspect of the social media age. It's always existed. So he wrote a poem that was meant to express dismay and fear after the governor of Kentucky was assassinated in 1900. And in this poem, he talked about the bullet of the assassin uh, leading eventually to President McKinley. So like essentially like, you know, once we've opened the door of like political discourse to, to this level of violence that an, a governor has been assassinated, what's to stop the president from being assassinated? Uh -huh. So when McKinley was assassinated less than a year later, uh, Bierce and his publisher, who was Hearst, were accused of calling for McKinley's assassination. Oh, <laughs> and were embroiled in this, in this controversy uh, that just sounded like, you know, the words being taken out of context of modern politics so much, you know, where like a soundbite floats around uh, and and, you know, you, you people are forced to spend, you know, their days defending this one soundbite that's completely out of context. 
a new phenomenon. Um, let's see. An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, the short story we're talking about, is one of the most reprinted American short stories. It was included in anthologies basically since it was published and has never really left. And it's very much embedded in the in the canon of American literature. Um, but he had, uh, so this one's kind of a, a war story with a, you know, a, a twist to it. Uh, but he also wrote um, like uh, some supernatural ghost stories, some horror stories. And H.P. Lovecraft is said to have been a fan of his horror-centric stories. Um, and uh, speaking of the twist settings that he popularized, Bierce went to Mexico to report on the revolution there and disappeared and was never heard or seen from again. <laughs> um, wow. He was in his, in his 70s and uh, went to go report on the, the war in Mexico. And uh, then just uh, like he he sent one last uh, uh, telegram, I think, about, about where he was. And then that was it. No one knows what happened. Ah, uh, that's terrible. Uh, critic William Dean Howells, who was a contemporary of uh, and, uh, you know, not just a critic, but an author uh, of of Bierce. He said, Mr. Bierce is among our three greatest writers. And Bierce responded, I'm sure Mr. Howells is the other two. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, if you enjoy the short story, uh, there is an episode of the original uh, Twilight Zone that is an adaptation of an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Um, and it's actually the only Twilight Zone episode that was not actually uh, produced by the Twilight Zone. It was a French uh, like short film that, um, oh, all of a sudden I'm blanking, Twilight Zone, Rod Serling uh, saw this French short film and said, I have to have that as an episode of the Twilight Zone and wow. uh, bought the rights to it to release it. That is awesome. It's I great. like the trivia today. This is very good. <laughs> it is a, and I've seen it. I've shown it to my class when I teach in Occurrence at Oak Creek Bridge. It, it's there's a couple of moments that maybe don't quite land quite as intended, but overall, I think it's a really good adaptation of an Occurrence at Oak Creek Bridge. Nice. It seems and, and, very adaptable. Yes, I, and I think one thing that's interesting is. Um, some parts of Bierce's writing feels like, uh, you know, a little transcendentalist. Like he really gets uh, into the minutia of nature and like describing the nature around him. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they actually like take time in the film to do like these slow close-ups of the leaves. And, uh, and and there's like a song playing as he like just looks in wonder at all the nature around him for, uh-huh. for a stretch of it. So they're they're not just like trying to do the beat for beat story. They're trying to like encompass some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling of, of the story as well. Cool. All right, Circular Ruins. Jorge Francisco Isidoro Luis Borges Acevedo was an Argentine writer, essayist, poet, and translator who lived from 1899 to 1986, and he's very closely associated with uh, magical realism. And um, besides being all those uh, kinds of writers, I mentioned that he was a translator. So I found it said he translated works into Spanish from English, French, German, Old English, and Old Norse. Which, I mean, <laughs> once you've done Old English, <laughs> why not take a stab at Old Norse? That's right. <laughs> and notably, he translated um, Ambrose Beer's short stories into Spanish. And I think uh, th- there's some, uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, some overlap in a way that feels like honoring, you know, some of the twists of of Beer's not at all trying to say like he he just ripping him off or anything like that. Yeah. Um. And I read some of. In the, when I was looking at trivia, I saw some of uh, some some quotes from Borges about his idea of translation. Have you ever heard him talk about translation? Um, remind me. Well, he says the best translation isn't strictly faithful, and the translator can improve upon or just change the work for the better. <laughs> 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 like the idea is not to just go word for word, or you know, or or like meaning of sentence for meaning of sentence or anything like that. And it's like no, no, like get the feeling, and if you can make it better, go ahead. <laughs> and, 
And uh, as a result of this, and this kind of gets into some, of, I think, the ideas that you said when, uh, like, one of his short stories was about these these people who are writing uh, the encyclopedia and they're actually creating a world as they do it. Um, he would sometimes publish his own original works in the style of an author he'd been translated, but claimed they were translations of obscure works from that author. <laughs> so, like, he'd finish the complete works of the author and just keep going for a little bit. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> And uh, he was apparently very much inspired by Thomas Carlyle's Sartre Resartus. Have you ever heard of that one? No. I've heard of Thomas Carlyle, and I think I've seen enough references to this that it kind of stood out. And I kind of knew what it was, but I went and looked it up. It was an 1836 commentary on the life and philosophies of this German thinker. But it turns out that German thinker didn't look, didn't exist. <laughs> he was oh. just doing the, you know, it felt, it feels very Borges once you, once you find that out, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's like going super in depth. And even in like this commentary, there are like notes from the editor about what the German thinker who doesn't exist really meant. And uh, this is Thomas Carlyle being both him doing the commentary and the editor that is arguing with him. That's so great. <laughs> and that's from 1836. That feels very postmodern, but that is, uh, you know, the, that kind of playfulness uh, is something that I think still resonates. You know? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, before we move on to the summary of these two short stories. Can I give you, well, I can I give you I a little ask, yeah, one more say, trivia actually, thing? Bor- Do you have any more Borges trivia? <laughs> well, just um, I so I took classes at BYU from professors who knew Borges personally. He was a friend of, of Brigham Young University, which I'm guessing a few of our listeners probably are familiar with. Um, he visited campus um, and and was good friends with the with the college and knew the professors there. Um, and uh, the story that, that I always remember is um, one of the professors, uh, Howard Quackenbush, he, was, he said that they were walking across campus one day, walking across the quad, and Borges stopped for a minute, and, and he said, wait. And then he kind of – he was blind, and he mm-hmm. looked up, kind of looked up into the, into the sky for a second. It was quiet, and then he said, I've just finished a story. And then they kept walking. <laughs> <laughs> So he just like wrote everything in his head and then uh, dictated it uh, to people who would who would uh, type it out. But um, he's really just so remarkable, and his stories are so interesting. If you have not read Borges, you uh, should do yourself a favor. Unless you yeah. hate like mind bending, you know, <laughs> stuff, then don't read Borges. Wait, and you should probably stop this episode right now because both right. these <laughs> are going to have a little bit of that going on. Uh, yeah, I think I had that in the trivia, but I forgot to sh- uh, share it. I, I just kind of missed it when I was reading through stuff. But he had deteriorating eyesight in his adulthood, and he was completely blind by the age of fifty-five. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one thing I said I saw said that he um, shifted more towards poetry because he would he could better retain like all the words of poetry in his head. Mm. And then share it uh, instead of the short story, which yeah, I that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> like when, when, once that was said, I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on to the summaries of these short stories, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we aren't covering as episodes of the podcast yet. And hopefully soon we'll also be giving updates on our fantasy box office game, but not just yet. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. 
All right. These are going to be pretty brief summaries because they're they're short stories. Uh, a current set of Creek Bridge is a little longer. Maybe take, you know, set aside a half hour and you can read the whole thing. Circular Ruins, set aside 10 to 15 minutes and you can read the whole thing. Uh, so in an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, Peyton Farquhar is about to be executed by Union soldiers because he has sabotaged their efforts in the South. He'll be hanged from a bridge, and as he waits for the drop, he thinks about his wife and children. He falls from the bridge, but the rope breaks, and he he lands in the creek below, and he's able to free his hands and swim away from the bridge. He swims, walks, and runs away from the Union soldiers, attempting to return to his home. He eventually makes it there, and he is running to his wife's arms. But just as he reaches her, he feels a blow on his neck. His imagined escape uh, was only in his head while he was waiting to be hanged, and his dream of escaping ended when the neck broke. When his neck broke in the noose. The end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, circular ruins. Uh, it's a wizard, and the wizard is unnamed. Correct in this uh, in yes. the circular ruins. Okay, so a, a wizard, <laughs> as we said, which is maybe not where you expected this to begin, but he arrives at the ruins of an ancient temple. He tries to sleep and meditate to dream a being into existence. At first, he dreams he's teaching a whole class, but soon he focuses on one student in this class, and he feels some progress in almost like willing the student to to be real, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, but soon he suffers from insomnia, and he can't get back to his dreams anymore. He he takes a break. He chooses a different tactic, and he says instead of like choosing one person to pluck out of a dream, he's going to try to build a being piece by piece. So he'll begin by dreaming a heart and then add organs that attach to the heart and then keep spreading out from that heart. And he continues this for a year. And when he's frustrated, he tries to consult with the god of this temple that he's staying at. And he discovers that this is a temple built to a god known as Fire. And Fire promises the wizard that he will make a being who everyone will believe is real, uh, is a real live person. And only the wizard and Fire will know this is a magical creation. Fire tells the wizard to finish conjuring the being and send him to another abandoned temple down the river so, so that fire can be essentially glorified or worshipped at that forgotten temple too. The wizard finishes conjuring the man in his dream uh, dreams and then educates him and sends him to the temple, but he wipes the memory of his creation from him so he won't even know that he's not a real person. Sometime after his son, quote unquote, leaves, a wildfire erupts and surrounds the temple where the wizard is. And accepting that his work has been done, he accepts his death and walks into the fire only to discover that he feels no pain. He realizes he is an illusion and that somewhere else someone is dreaming him. The end. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so you sent me this one. And I like I, I know an occurrence at Oak Creek Bridge pretty well. Um, read it several times. I've taught it. Uh, and, and then... Uh, got to the end of this one, which I think you referenced a little bit in class and it was just like felt like, oh, the idea that the person wasn't even there, like their whole story, <laughs> you know, was was something else. Uh, just just felt like these two kind of go hand in hand with the, these twists at the at the finale. Yeah, uh, the, as I was as I was reading Owl Creek Bridge, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, um, it occurred to me that there are <laughs> there are other Borges stories that fit even the, <laughs> the tie even close more closely uh, with, uh, with Beers' story, but, but we can go with circular ruins for now. <laughs> yeah. So you, you sent me another one. And I actually read it right before we started recording called the secret miracle, which is about a man who, as he's standing in front of the firing squad, wishes for time to complete his, his like magnum opus, like his greatest book. And then God grants it to him and like time freezes, but it's only like for him, essentially he has a year to mentally and in his head, finish his book and correct everything and get all the language as he wants it. And when he finishes it, the firing squad fires and he dies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that one would have fit too. I, I think there's something that intrigued me even more about circular ruins though. It, it, um, I, I really like the, uh, the idea of, 
um, you know, this being who was created now creates something else, but loses sight of, of that. And it, it felt like a lot of Borges work that I have read and that you've referenced. It felt um, very much a part of, or, or like a, a meditation on like the, the process of like creativity and creation. Yes. Like in some ways this feels like an author, you know, making a, uh, you know, an established author, like, like say like a Tolkien, right. Who, who makes yes. up like this crazy fantasy world. And then there's like a new wave of, writers who come along and like stand on the foundation of Tolkien and uh and are inspiring the next wave of creators who yes. you know are gonna be a little further removed from Tolkien but it's all like one line it kind of feels like yeah yeah absolutely and and circular ruins is dense I mean and all of Borges's writing is is super dense in in the sense that um you there are there are a lot of different ways to interpret what's going on and you could take I mean, I teach, we teach this in our senior, we have a senior seminar, like a capstone seminar for our Spanish, um, Spanish major graduates. And we, this is one of the stories that we read. And so we get, you know, 45 minutes to talk about circular ruins. And it's just, we talk about like, you know, two out of 100 things that we could talk about in the story. <laughs> There's just so much going on. And he packs so much into these few pages um, that it's, it's a lot of fun. So what do you think, like both of these obviously share like the twist ending of a, a lot of the story having been essentially like not not what we knew and, and in some in some way in someone else's head, right? <laughs> you know? uh, to, yeah. to agree. It's a, it's a little different in how, how that lands, but that's that's part of it. What, and that's something that we also see in things like, you know, The Matrix. And you know, it's not like unique to these two stories to have that idea of like a, a story being held in someone else's mind and, and you know, what, what we consumed isn't what we knew it, what it was until the very end. Why do you think that kind of idea is something that fascinates audiences and, and that we can find in, you know, everything from sci-fi to fantasy to, to, um, you know, to this magical realism, to this war story with Owl Creek Bridge. What, you know, is there something about that that you think intrigues us so much? Well, uh, I think, um, Gosh, it's it's a really good question. In some ways, it has to do with. Um, I mean, there there are two words that jump to mind for me. One is agency, um, and, oh, and it's for, good to have you back, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> and this idea of agency is really important, right? Like one of the fundamental questions of human existence is: to what extent am I an agent? in my life? Do I, do my decisions matter? And am I really making decisions or am I a pawn in some game? And that could mean, uh, that there are other people that are pulling strings on me, or that could mean that, um, that I am, uh, bound, you know, by, I, I'm just a bag of what, like flesh and bones and neurons firing in my brain. And, and a butterfly flapping its wings in China will impact my decisions. Mm -hmm. um, or, or is there some divine being or divine beings out there <laughs> who are pulling the strings on us? And in some ways it ties back to, to Quixote, but, but it's not like, that's not the only story, but it's, it's a, a really important story. And for Borges, it's super important. Um, this idea that we may be, we may not be as in control of things as we like to think. Um, so that's that's one uh, one way of thinking about that. One word that that jumps out to me is agency. The other word that jumps out to me is perception. And um, and when I think of uh, of Bierce's story here, 
uh, his descriptions and uh, this idea of perception and the way that, uh, is it Farquhar? Um, mm-hmm. that, the way that he perceives the world around him. It's so real and it's so detailed and he can see everything. And then to realize that that all is an illusion um, is shocking at the end of the story. And uh, and it tells us something, uh, or I think it, it pokes at us in a way that's both uncomfortable and also kind of... <laughs> I don't know how satisfying is the right word, but um, but it's very intriguing uh, to think that these senses that we have, that the way that we interact with the world, that seems so real, right? Like people say, well, if I can see it, then it's real. Or if I can measure it, then it's real. Um, and to have somebody say, actually, you can't really trust any of your senses <laughs> uh, in the way that you, that you like to think that you can, it's very unsettling. Um, and, and, uh, unsettling, but also, you know, causes curiosity in us. So mm-hmm. those are the, maybe two things to at least keep in mind. Well, I think we get the added layer with, um, like Beers's writing where as a reader, when you're consuming it, like you can see a lot of the nature that's getting described, uh, like the, the details that are given and, and like your imagination is fired in a way that's vivid and, you know, makes a connection and, then like you're saying like at, at the end like you, you you've been swept up in the story you think this is this person experiencing it uh and then you you find out that it was it was all in his head but you know it's all been in your own head right <laughs> as the reader too yes yeah i mean <laughs> i have to remind my students sometimes they'll, they'll say so is this person really this and i'll say no <laughs> this is a story right? <laughs> like, none of this is real nobody is really anything Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, that's it's interesting how, you know, it's like these um, uh, nested, like the Russian nested dolls. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think another interesting part of the Beerus's short story, the, the current Sal Creek Bridge, is uh, um, my students often ask, like, well, he fought for the union and uh our main character that we become i think naturally attached to to some degree is is you know a a southerner who's trying to sabotage the union railways and you know their use of bridges in the south and uh and so he's writing from like he he literally fought against these kinds of people Uh in the war and was wounded and um and and so why do they have this point of view and i think part of it is this idea of you know his his war stories all being anti-war stories and kind of about the uh the brutality of war and, and that you know as, i think as a soldier for the north yes he believed in the cause enough to go fight but he also hated <laughs> the violence and the death and uh, and knowing that you know every life lost was a life was an individual uh and it, you know in some ways like the the war for the north the, the north fight in the south is one of the most justifiable wars <laughs> right in terms of preventing yeah. the country from being splintered and ending slavery like there's a lot of moral rectitude on being on that side uh, of that issue that's very defensible uh but i think he's trying to say even with that it's it's still horrifying what, what happens in war and every loss of life is horrifying yeah i love the um the description that that beers gives of farquhar he says um the man who was engaged in being hanged was apparently about 35 years of age he was a civilian if one might judge from his habit which was that of a planter his features were good a straight nose firm mouth broad forehead 
from which his long, dark hair was combed straight back, falling behind his ears to the collar of his well-fitting frock coat. He wore a mustache and pointed beard, but no whiskers. His eyes were large and dark gray, and had a kindly expression, which one would hardly have expected in one whose neck was in the hemp. Evidently, this was no vulgar assassin. Like, oh, that man. line, his neck was in the hemp. I know! And that was the other thing that's, or one of the things that stood out to me most was just his command of um, of the language and and the vocabulary and choosing the right word and the right verbs and knowing when to use the passive voice and when not to use the passive voice. It's just, it's like masterful. It's so good. Yeah, you can tell Beers is someone who like literally, his living is words, right? Yeah. You know, this is someone who, whether it is, you know, satire or uh, news stories or short fiction, you know, he is, he's he's thoughtful uh, about how he's going to engage the language. And um, uh, with when he was writing, uh, you you can see, I mean, getting to some of that ideas about Borges, you can see some of the American writers who follow him, right? And and are clearly uh, reacting to him. So Hemingway oh, yeah. is one who gets yeah, absolutely. as feeling, you know, inspired by Beers. I think he's, he's one of the writers that Hemingway has acknowledged besides all his, his contemporaries, um, you know, that someone who who Hemingway was reading. Um, and yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, a, a, just a command of language that stands out for Beers besides the the twist ending, which is so famous, right? You know, this is what a lot of people know about an occurrence of Creek Bridge is, oh, it's the one with the twist ending, but it's also like just so well-written. And again, circling back to your idea of, of Borges, uh, you know, Borges' idea of what we were saying, like standing on the, the, the shoulders of what came before, um, you know, like I really do feel some of that earlier transcendentalist movement in in the way he writes about nature uh-huh. uh and in a story that's not transcendentalist <laughs> i don't yeah. think you know it doesn't fit but you can tell these these earlier american uh you know literature foundations that he is now standing on and he becomes one of those foundational elements for subsequent writers yeah i mean that's what that's what all, all the greats basically uh you know they take the best uh skills from their predecessors and they and they build on that and then change it in some you know in some way that's remarkable that's what uh, you know for for the most part that's like our best shot at originality is mm-hmm. is to do, do really 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 well the thing that that other people are doing and then find some you know some new new angle or new twist or or something so yeah, and that's what I, I saw. Someone had uh, it was a writer that I follow on Twitter. They were saying something like, "I think the idea of originality gets misunderstood with the with, with um, uh, competent <laughs> storytelling, essentially." Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like saying, in essence, there's no truly original story. Things can be put together in a way that you've never seen before, but the building blocks you could take it apart and identify where these building blocks are coming from. But right. if it's done competently, that can feel original. Yeah, I mean, like, what is a ori- what is what does it mean to be truly, truly original? Can, can I mean, I can't. Uh, nobody jumps to mind right now as being like, no, that person really just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. No, you know, there is no there is no past behind them. They just erupt out of nothing and and are creating something. You know, maybe somebody like. Fernando Pessoa, the Portuguese uh, poet, 
who I mean, his stuff is just absolutely insane. <laughs> and 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 it, but but even he's like writing in a tradition. It's just yeah. it's just so unique. The and way even like the uh, you know like project. when you get to the absurdists who are like just trying to do something that's just never been done because no one would ever think to do this. Even then, they're reacting against you know what's right. what's come before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, it's it, it's hard to escape circumstances. Yeah. Um, I did want to highlight real quick the last lines of these two stories. So Bierce's uh, An Occurrence in Elk Creek Ridge. Peyton Farquhar was dead. His body, with a broken neck, swung gently from side to side beneath the t- timbers of the Owl Creek Bridge. And then uh, Borges with uh, The Wizard, we have, it says, uh, with relief, with humiliation, with terror, he understood that he also was an illusion, that someone else was dreaming him. And it's just like, I don't know why anyone else wants to write <laughs> last <laughs> lines like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're both just so good. And, and uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, it's that magical moment where you get to those last lines and it doesn't feel like anything before was cheating, but everything before is now different. Right. Yeah. And nothing after will be the same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the things that stands out to me the most about circular ruins and 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 ties into this this conversation about originality and creation, creativity, um, and and is one of the things that I, I like to talk to my students most about. Uh, Borges, the 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 wizard, he tries to create his dream man twice, and the first time he uh, he dreams an amphitheater. And it's full of students and he's like the teacher and he's teaching them anatomy and astronomy and all these things. And as he's teaching, he's watching the students and, um, and he's trying to see who stands out. And um, it, it says in Spanish, it says, Buscaba un alma que, mere- que mereciera participar en el universo. So he was looking for a soul that deserved to participate in the universe. Um, and Which he is another said, one of those lines where like, once you read it, like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> <That is> <laughs> after nine or 10 nights, he understood with some bitterness that he could not, I'm just, I'm like translating on the fly from Spanish here, uh, that he couldn't, uh, expect anything from those students who accepted with passivity his doctrine. Uh, but he could from those who were taking risks, uh, at times. Um, maybe a reasonable contradiction Um, or those who risked at times a reasonable contradiction. Uh, The first, although they were worthy of love and, and affection could not ascend to, to the, to the level of individuals. The the latter pre-existed a little more. And there's something just that, uh, that always fascinates me about that line. Um, so he says, you know, there are some that are like, oh, you're so smart. Everything you say is so awesome. And he's like, I like you, but, (laughs) but you do not deserve to exist like the ones who are really listening and are, and are willing to, uh, to risk even contradicting the professor at times. And so my students and I laugh about that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and this idea that they pre-exist a little more those those who are really engaged in the process and are asking questions questioning things and uh and taking risks um 
that they pre-exist in some way more. And you're like, man, that's so cool. And then you realize that he fails. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he chooses one that he really likes and then is is still unable to get any life out of that uh, out of that person. And then he gets insomnia. He can't sleep at all. Um until he uh s- some time passes and then he abandons all hope of dreaming and he goes um he he goes to the river and he purifies himself in the river he worships the planetary gods uh he pronounces uh these uh prayers um and then he falls asleep and immediately he dreams this heart that's beating um and then he just watches the heart beat for a very long time um for 14 nights he just watches it and then uh and then he it says he doesn't he doesn't touch it he just watches it and he kind of makes little tiny corrections but just with his gaze and then eventually uh on the 14th night he takes his one finger and he and he like caresses this heart and then uh and then he feels good about it and so then he starts to build on this like it's this very slow slow process um, and so I talked to my students about creation and creativity and what is Borges trying to tell us about how we create things and, and, and maybe on an even, uh, on an even higher level, like how we pursue truth and beauty. And, um, and there's one way that's very academic and it's about asking questions um, there's another way that's very, it's like spiritual, right? Like you don't do that in the amphitheater. You do that in the river, uh, w- with rites and prayers and, and gods. And that thing is way more passive. It's more about revelation than it is about, uh, about finding something important. Um, and, and Borges wasn't like anti-intellectual. He was a super <laughs> smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it seems to me, <laughs> I think we could safely call him an academic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it seems to me that Borges is trying to tell us something really important about the limits of academic knowledge and the limits of like reason as, as we understand it. Um, and the importance of this other kind of knowledge, which is spiritual and comes to us perhaps more through revelation than it does through, you know, like hard work. Um, and I, th- I think that that's, there's something really important that he's saying about, about creativity there. And I think what, one thing that's so fascinating about Borges and this short story is we have this whole meditation on education, right? Where, where he's trying to teach the students. And then we have this separate meditation on creation right and 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 like the the value of studying a thing out in order to learn from it and then as as you're saying like now you build upon it after you've like really studied this thing out in solitude in meditation uh and all this and this short story is like 11 paragraphs long i just counted it (laughs) 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 and we haven't gotten to the, the the takeaway of like the you know the the echoes of 
of figures, you know, you know, that yeah. someone, someone is dreaming this person who has now dreamed another creation and send it down to do the same thing again at another temple and dream at another temple and create again. Um, and, and this is just so, uh, tight a package that just i think would keeps it kind of unfurling as as you as you dig into it yeah i mean it's what i was saying before about how dense this is um and how many different angles and and that's the other the other one that stands out most to me is this idea of circularity and um and infinity and how comfortable (laughs) borges seems to be with that idea uh that really in western culture um is is very uncomfortable for most for most of of the west right like aristotle famously says like infinity essentially doesn't exist right <laughs> like there's a cause and there's a cause and there's and that thing has a cause and that thing has a cause but but everybody knows says aristotle everybody knows that that can't go on forever there has to be some first cause mm-hmm. and that first cause is god and borges is like why does there have to be a first cause why couldn't it go on forever <laughs> and then you're like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> right? Because I can't really comprehend it. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's get on this incomprehensible right. uh, idea and and build on that. Um, there's a line uh, as I was just like skimming through the translation that you had sent me, which I'm trying to see if it says who translated it. I don't know that it that I have who the translator is, but I'm reading the English version uh, and there's a line that made me think of that. One of the definitions from Ambrose Bierce, uh, from his devil's dictionary, where in the devil's dictionary, uh, he wrote that achievement is the death of endeavor and the birth of disgust. <laughs> and in, uh, the circular ruins, it says, um, after he, uh, <laughs> he, he like, it makes the creation that he's been trying to do. Like this is his life's work, uh, at this temple is to will this being into existence. It's now says his victory and peace became blurred with boredom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i think that's another interesting idea that that uh borges is getting at is, is like when you when you work and and like your life is defined by a, a particular achievement there's then the well now what yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the so what uh and not just now what, like okay well what, is it worth it have i done what what like have i fulfilled what i'm supposed to uh in in being here uh and and it's interesting to think that um, you know, when we get to the reveal that this is like uh, he we, he realizes he's an illusion and someone else was dreaming him. It's like, well, now is that person dreaming like his own <laughs> issues and angst into this this new creation uh, that exists? Uh, and it it doesn't like the, the system doesn't fall apart once you say that. It's like, oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, so I, I just think there's a lot of interesting overlap between Bierce and and Borges that um it doesn't feel at all like like i said like like they're they're just like echoing one another it's like the like i really feel like borges is like building on some of the the twists and uh the themes that you see in beers that he would have been familiar with as a translator and also but he's he's definitely doing something new and unique that that doesn't feel derivative at all um, yeah even as we can identify some of those like correlations that are that are present yeah, I'm 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 interested in, in this translation. So in the end, the uh, that very last line says that he uh, he understood that he also was an illusion. Mm-hmm. So the Spanish word that that they use is apariencia, which oh, okay. which would be that he understood that he is an appearance. Right. That another was uh, was dreaming him, um, and maybe I'm just I don't know, maybe I'm just hung up on on the words, but. 
Well, I mean, like, for his wouldn't be. He'd say, you know what? Go to town. Do your thing. <laughs> I just think, um, I, I just think it's interesting. Like in in Beers's story, that whole part after the after after he 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 gets hung, right? They, they pull the board out yeah. and he hangs, and then all of that is what I would consider an illusion, meaning it's not mm-hmm. real, right? Like in reality, that guy is hanging (laughs) um and so it's an it's an illusion but and but when i read circular ruins i don't get the sense that this is not real right Um, but i get the sense that this reality exists inside of another reality um there's a in one of borges's poems he talks about chess and he says um he basically uh, says something along the lines of like, we're all, you know, the, the players on the, on the, we're all the pawns, we're all the, the pieces on the chessboard. Mm-hmm. Um, or we think what, what we think that we're playing chess when in reality we are the pieces on the board and what happens when they step away from the game or something like that, or they, or they wake up. Um, and that's the, you know, at the end of this somebody else is dreaming him meaning his existence is dependent on the existence and consciousness of some other being Uh, but not that it that it's not real um but that that reality exists in nested inside of some greater reality Mm -hmm. and some it's framed in a way yeah, I'm with you on this, where the incurred set bridge, it absolutely is like this is the figment of his imagination that was all in his head as he fell from the bridge to the noose snapping his neck. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he just lived this imagined moment of what if, essentially. Uh, and then the story says, no, <laughs> there is no, <laughs> no, what if. Yeah. Uh, and, and with the Borges, it, it definitely is like, I, I feel like the, the world that is being built in the fiction is a world that we're supposed to be accepting. Like these are the laws that are governing this world and we're just going to accept it. And this is the reality that exists there. Yeah. And he's certainly thinking about, um, I mean, there's a long tradition of, uh, of Spanish letters that goes, you know, it's a line that goes something like Borges, Unamuno, uh, and then you go back to the Spanish golden age and you get, um, you get like Calderon, the life, life is a dream which we haven't done on this podcast, have we? We no. should really do that play. Um, Life is a Dream and then Quixote. And uh, like I said earlier, it's not like they're the only people that have ever had these thoughts, but there's definitely a like a through line through Spanish literature that comes here of people asking these kinds of questions about agency and about existence and about what what is the possibility that we are that our existence is nested inside of some greater thing that right. we may or may not really understand <laughs> at all and how do you act how do you act then knowing that this life that you live is not is not all that you think that it is yeah, I mean, to some degree, it does sound a little like uh, a stereotypical like stoner insight in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> what What if I'm just someone's dream right now? What yeah. if that's all we are? But it also, I think, is uh, something you referenced earlier, like a, a, a struggle that like people of faith have with like the idea of predestination, right? <laughs> you know, yes. what if this is all just being dictated uh, by God? 
um and then uh, i'm or even uh i'm trying to think of uh what's the name of the uh the will ferrell magical realism uh film stranger than fiction you know something like that where well stranger than fiction is uh, arguably a a film adaptation of an unamuno novel called niebla uh mist which is about a character who meets the author writing his uh novel and was written in 1911 (laughs) Oh, such a cool story yeah i love stranger than fiction we should do that on the podcast sometime Uh, oh yeah i I would be i I I did not know about the 1911 source material yeah you should read uh it reads like like a realist novel like a 19th century realist novel until the very end when the care when the character (laughs) just decides (laughs) when the character just decides that he's had enough of this story and uh and decides to go track down the the author oh it's like uh there's a grant morrison uh comic from the late 80s early 90s in animal man which was this dc character that no one cared about so he was able to do basically whatever he wanted but like he he kills animal man's family and puts him through all these awful things and then there's a last page of an issue where animal man looks like it's just a, a full splash page of animal man looking up at the reader and saying i see you and then in the, <laughs> in the next in the next issue animal man crawls out of the comic book to go confront grant morrison and say why did you do this to me why that's did you exactly what happens yeah the, <laughs> the guy the guy uh augusto perez he's talking to his friend and he says my life is terrible the, everything's been going wrong i'm gonna kill myself and the and the his friend goes you can't kill yourself and he goes why not and he says we're just words on a page man <laughs> And you're like, what is going on? And he says, no, are you kidding me? And his friend says, yeah, like you just have to do whatever the author says. Cause we're just, we're just characters in a novel. And, and then, and then the narrator goes, excuse me, there's a knock on my door. And then, and then he goes, he's like, it's Augusto Pérez. And then they sit down and they have this conversation. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay. I, I, now I don't know if Grant Morse has ever read that. He's been pretty open about uh, hallucinogenic drugs helping him on his <laughs> on his narrative journey. <laughs> so it could have just been some parallel inspiration happening. Could be. Could be. <laughs> oh, but, but it, I think it's something like I said. Like everyone from like the strictest religious person to you know people who are using mind altering substances. Like I think <laughs> land on some version of what Borges is digging into uh, in, in this story. And so I, I think that's one reason why it's, it's just something that's fascinating to, to human nature is to start thinking about, like you said, these issues of agency and reality and our choice, you know, and and um, and, you know, the, both for us and the world around us, what, what's what's going on. And this is, uh, you know, in this, like I said, this remarkably short but dense short story, Borges is digging into some of those concepts. Yeah, it's it's really great. <laughs> uh, do you have any final thoughts about circular ruins or an occurrence at Owl Creek bridge that you would like us to cover. I, I just really liked reading, um, the occurrence at Owl Creek, Owl Creek bridge. Um, it's a really well-written story and, um, I don't know. I know, I know people who are like, Oh, I saw the sixth sense. Uh, I totally understood. Like at the very beginning, it was so obvious. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I don't really believe you. <laughs> Um, he had me going at the very beginning. You got to get pretty far into that movie where I think there's enough clues have built up that, you know, if you did not have any hints beforehand and, and that, that I think that would mean even be like, if you go in looking for the twist, cause you know, there's a twist cause everyone's talking about the twist. Even if no one's saying there's a twist, I think you could land there, uh, partway through the movie, but not from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I feel like I feel like there are lots of people that have read this story and they're like, oh, I totally knew from the very beginning. I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> but but also, I you know, I agree. Like there's a there was a, a moment where I thought, OK, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and and he, he leaves enough breadcrumbs that you feel like it's very it's a very satisfying feeling. Mm-hmm. To 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 kind of have that dawn on you and to you know see the 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 clues in the text that let you know that this is happening, um, and part of that happens in the reread. I, w- I was talking to a, one of the journalism professors on campus, and I said we were going to do this, and he said that's the story that the second you read the last word, you have to go back to the beginning and read it again. Like it just compels you to read it again. Um, and and I agree. And there is something really satisfying in doing the second reading and seeing all of the all of the clues. But I feel like Beers gives you enough clues that even on the first reading, you, you can kind of it, it starts to dawn on you kind of slowly. It's super satisfying uh, the way yeah. that he does it. Yeah, and I think uh, when it comes to twist endings, there's definitely an art and a craft to them where they need to be simultaneously shocking but satisfying. Where like I think it's kind of like a murder mystery, right? You need to yeah. be able to say. Okay, I didn't see that coming, but it makes perfect sense <laughs> once it's there. And, uh, you know, a, a poorly structured murder mystery either gives away too much or the ending is such a shock that it doesn't feel earned at all. And same yes. with these kinds of twist, twist endings. It needs to find that perfect, you know, like, like thread that needle of, oh, that, that, that makes so much sense once you know it. But also, I did not know this is what was going to happen when I got to the last line of this, this short story. Yeah. Um, I think I ju- I just watched Into the Woods on Disney Plus, and um, <laughs> there's a scene where he goes into the woods. And I'm like, oh, he's going into the woods, <laughs> but but I I think it's somewhere around that point where I started to go, oh, okay, <laughs> this is a feeling. <laughs> this does not really feel like reality right now. Uh, <laughs> it it feels like he's going into a different kind of woods. Uh, so. Yeah, I I just thought it was so well done. It's it's yeah. just so satisfying to read uh, the work of like a true master. <laughs> yeah, their, and with Borges, I think it's a very different feeling throughout. Where I think it always feels so wide open, anything could happen, and it'd be like fine. <laughs> like okay, of course that's <laughs> that's where this goes. Uh, it, which is very different from like the the more realistically grounded pro style of, oh, yeah. of beers um but at the same time like i remember i i think maybe it was in our thanksgiving episode you talked some about circular ruins because I, I think i knew what was coming but still when i got to the last line i was like oh wow <laughs> like that was just delivered so perfectly uh in this um and it, it, it feel like i said it just feels so different than beers but also uh, like they go together and i'm glad that we're we're putting them together for this discussion yeah well, uh, I guess the takeaway might be that everyone should have a collection of short stories on their bedstand, as well as whatever other text they're reading. If you're like <laughs> me, you probably have like a half dozen things you're reading at a time. <laughs> yeah, and, and grabbing, but there are definitely nights where it's like I, I want something and it, it can't be, you know, the latest, you know, j- just a piece of an epic story. It just needs to be something that I can just go into and grab. And uh, both these short stories, I think you could you could read while you're drifting off to sleep and then like have some deep thoughts as you're drifting off to sleep. And in the case of Borges, maybe go dream a reality <laughs> into existence. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't really do short story. It's not, it's not really my thing. Um, uh, you know, this semester I'm teaching like two 
great big novels <laughs> mm-hmm. in one class, and that's just that's it. Uh, and I like I like what what authors can do over many many pages mm-hmm. uh, with character development and world building and all of those things. Um, I really like it. Uh, but when I read short stories, I go, oh, man, I should do more short stories because they're so good. <laughs> um, so like when I teach, uh, when I when I teach anything besides my survey of American lit, it's almost always like novels or or like a, like I'm teaching a, a whole class just on mouse where like that's the right. only text for, you know, for the entire semester. And our discussion is just on this one, you know, 250 page graphic novel. Uh, but when I do the survey of American lit, just because it's so reading intensive and we're just really trying to burn through uh, like here is a, a, an iconic example of this literary movement. OK, now we're moving on to the next yeah. <laughs> iconic example of that literary, you know, of the next literary movement. By, by default, I kind of have to do a lot of short stories um, in that because uh, you, you can't say, OK, we're reading Huckleberry Finn this week and, you know, we're, we're going to go read all of my Antonia the next week. It, it just is it would would be too much and i i have kind of like what you're saying like every semester is like oh, you know i reread this short story for the lecture today and it's like why don't i read more short stories they're <laughs> just so, so good. delightful <laughs> yeah i have a colleague that does um she does cervantes uh but she really focuses on his novelas ejemplares which are kind of like novellas or short mm-hmm. stories um collections and they're super good and her argument is that basically anything that you want to get out of Quixote, you can get out of one of these, out of one of these stories. Like Cervantes really does develop the themes that are so important in Don Quixote in these much smaller uh, stories. And and I think great writers like Beers and Borges and Cervantes, they really can uh, condense things when they want to. Um, and and there's something really delightful about just sitting down and then 15 minutes or a half an hour later, you go, oh, man, that was really good. <laughs> and every time I do it, I do think about that poem maxim. And I think about it also with like the difference between like a, a streaming, streaming an entire series of something versus like watching a very good movie in one yeah. sitting, you know, it, it, it or even now, like the difference between like a Marvel film that feels like chapter of a larger narrative versus going watching something where it's like, OK, here's the entire vision. <laughs> all yeah. at once and this is it um and i think there's something very rewarding about both styles i'm not trying to say one is superior to the other but whenever i do get like that perfectly encapsulated story i i, I it's just like oh i need i need more of that too and, you know because because we <laughs> at, at this point we're surrounded by the never-ending streaming series and the never-ending you know cinematic universes and you know brandon sanderson epic stories where you know each chapter that he manages to put out you know every couple of years is going to be like here's your next thousand pages <laughs> to, yeah. to read and, it, and it's just a piece of the story that he has in his head when that's an amazing craftsmanship i'm not at all knocking that but i think there's also amazing craftsmanship in these very well-told short stories that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, please go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. And you can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. And we also are now on Discord. Uh, Dueling Genre has a Discord channel where all of their podcast hosts Uh, hang out to talk about their most recent episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long.
All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up. Thank you, Todd, for coming back and joining us for this discussion. It is always a treat to have you. I, sorry, Andrew, I lost my spot in the script. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.